Good morning. I'm David Hopkinson, your worship associate today. And it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists online worship service. Our greeter today was Les Solomon. Our other worship leaders today are our minister, the Reverend Laura Horton Ludwig, our director of religious education, Austin Peterson, and our assistant director of music, Dave Robbins. If you're on Zoom, uh, at this time, you might want to change to uh, uh, speaker view so that you'll have a better view of whoever is speaking. Our AV technicians will be muting and unmuting you as needed throughout the service. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. You'll, you'll find the link right next to the Zoom and the YouTube links. If you're visiting today, we invite you to share your name in the chat if you like and tell us anything you'd like us to know about you. We're glad you're here. And if you're not yet on our email list and would like to join to keep up with opportunities to connect, serve and grow, please fill out our online visitor form at wuu.org, right underneath the link to download the order of service. And now we'll have the treat of hearing uh, Dave Robbins play a prelude by the Polish composer Frederick Chopin, who wrote at the height of the European Romantic movement in the 19th century. Again, welcome. We're happy that you have joined us via live stream audio or video or Zoom. Whether you've come here seeking comfort, encouragement or inspiration, you belong here, you are seen here. Even if you are joining by phone and we cannot see you physically. If you are a visitor, we offer you a, offer you a special welcome and a warm thank you for joining us online today. Now I invite you to join me in saying our welcoming words. Please, as you say these words, imagine speaking them to each other and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted in the, into the Zoom chat. Let's at least try to say them in unison. We'll see how that works. <laughs> Folks on Zoom, we will unmute you so that you can hear each other. Come, 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 wherever you are, 
Ever your image Welcome, indeed. Our call to worship this morning comes to us from the Reverend Kathleen McTeague. She's a white American UU minister who serves our faith as the Director of Activism and Justice Education at the UU Service Committee, which basically means she organizes justice-focused service trips for UUs all over the country. And she says, we come together this morning to remind one another to rest for a moment on the forming edge of our lives, to resist the headlong tumble into the next moment until we claim for ourselves awareness and gratitude, taking the time to look into one another's faces and see their communion, the reflection of our own eyes. This time of laughter and silence Memory and hope is hallowed by our presence together. Now, please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. If you have a chalice or a candle hand, handy nearby in your home, please go ahead and light it now as we highlight just Jess Hench. Again, <clears throat> we'll unmute you and we'll unmute you all and say the words in unison. Go. We like this challenge. We're going to go now to our opening hymn. Um, Dave Robbins has for us the fire of commitment, and I invite you to sing along as you are moved. From the light of days remembered burns a beacon bright and clear. And hearts and spirits into faith set free from fear. When the fire of commitment sets our minds and souls ablaze, when our hunger and our passion meet to call us on our way, when we live with deep assurance of the flame that burns within. And our promise finds fulfillment and our future can begin. From the stories of our living rings a song both brave and free, calling pilgrims still to witness to the life of liberty. When the fire of commitment sets our minds and souls ablaze, 
When our hunger and our passion need to call us on our way When we live with deep assurance of the flame that burns within Then our promise finds fulfillment and our future can Dreams of youthful vision comes a new prophetic voice, which demands a deeper justice built by our courageous choice. When the fire of commitment sets our mind and soul ablaze, when our hunger and our passion need to call us on our when we live with deep assurance of the flame that burns within, then our promise finds fulfillment and our future can Thank you, Dave. Today's story is brought to you by the letter B. For those of you who are visual, visual journalers and visual journaling along, the letter B would be a good theme for this page. By the way, this is a true story. Once upon a time, there was a man named Henry Berg. And I'm going to send you some links because this is such an interesting story. There was a man named Henry Berg that was born in 1911. He was born to a family of privilege and um, went to Harvard when he was just 14, which the article that I read said was easier done then than it is now, but still, I think that is pretty impressive. So he went there and then ended up having Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln appoint him to, um, to Russia to go be emissary to um, Tsar Alexander II. And one of the things um, about travel back then was you didn't just go from the United States to Russia. He um, ended up in London on the way there and on the way back. And on the way back, he met, um, he met someone who had, who had started the BSCPA, the British Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And Henry was really inspired by this idea. And so he went back to his Unitarian congregation who the minister there was a man named Henry Whitney Bellows. And Henry Whitney Bellows, I told you the theme was B, right? Was this wonderful speaker. Um, he was this great preacher and he had been nominated um, for the Unitarian Church in Manhattan um, by William Ellery Channing. 
he was one of the people that said, you know, who should go candidate for you? Henry Whitney Bellows. And so when Henry Berg came back, he went to his minister, Henry Whitney Bellows, and said, you know, I have this idea that animals have feelings and that we should not be cruel to them. And by we, I mean everyone. I want to see it put into law. And Henry Whitney Bellows agreed. And, you know, this was something that the congregation went through as a whole. And this is something that New York, the state of New York went through as a whole. And Henry Berg decided that he would do something really pretty radical. He made sure that all animals that were um, doing any kind of interstate trade, which back then was pretty much all trade unless you were carrying it on your back, all of those animals had to be treated well. And so through that and through the legislation work that he did in the state of New York, and then through creating the American Society for the, Preserva for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, the ASPCA, which some of you may be members of, this Unitarian made a huge difference in the lives of animals, but he didn't stop there. He went and contacted this guy who you may have heard of, P.T. Barnum, who was not a Unitarian, he was a Universalist. And he was also, um, he had a favorite minister and her name, her name was Olympia Brown, who was the first Universalist woman to be ordained. She was quite possibly the first woman to be ordained ever. Lots of B names. And so Henry Berg decided that he would confront P.T. Barnum about this circus arrangement that he had with animals and said, you know, it's fine to have um, celebrations of animals, but let's start some standards here. And P.T. Barnum at first said, mm -mm, you can't tell me what to do. This is my business. But he won out. Henry Berg did. And eventually P.T. Barnum became one of his most staunch supporters. And so... Part of the moral of the story here, I think, besides the fact that B just was totally the letter for those days, I think the moral of the story was these people working together that didn't necessarily know each other, but having conversations with each other saying, hey, you know, I see an injustice. This is not okay. And we need to create structures and we need to use the structures that we already have our churches, whether it's Unitarian or Universalist. We need to use these structures to make lives better. And the ASPCA has made lives better for so many countless animals. But Henry Berg didn't stop there. He also founded the um, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children, which was a radical idea back in those times because children were not considered to be full human beings which sounds just utterly ridiculous to us now, but it's because of this Unitarian forefather and many others that we consider children to be full human beings deserving of human rights. Wow, what a lot of work. What a lot of work by a whole community. So Berg is the one that gets the credit for this, but let us not forget all of the others who did countless hours of work to help make this a reality. And by the way, Berg went to Harvard, um, Henry Whitney Bellows went to Harvard, 
And um, I would be remiss to not mention that um, that divinity school that they went to, the law school of Harvard was the one that Ruth Bader Ginsburg later attended. So there are many connections everywhere. And Chris Llewellyn just um, posted a really useful link, the UU Animal Ministry website. So you can take a look at that. If you're not on Zoom and you would like to type it into your computer, it is uuam.org. And um, Rachel says, and Boston starts with a B too. Well, that is the truth. And one more B, Henry Berg is buried in Brooklyn. Thank you all. Thank you, Austin, for giving us that wonderful history and inspiration today. I so appreciate that. Well, folks, it's been another week, and I invite you now to join in a time of meditation, a time of reflection and prayer as we allow the words of the Black American theologian Howard Thurman to call us into a place of stillness, shimmering, and potential. Howard Thurman. Look well to the growing edge. All around us, worlds are dying and new worlds are being born. All around us, life is dying and life is being born. The fruit ripens on the tree. The roots are silently at work in the darkness of the earth against a time when there shall be new leaves, fresh blossoms, green fruit. Such is the growing edge. It is the extra breath from the exhausted lung the one more thing to try when all else has failed, the upward reach of life when weariness closes in upon all endeavor. This is the basis of hope in moments of despair, the incentive to carry on when times are out of joint and men have lost their reason, the source of confidence when worlds crash, and dreams whiten into ash. Look well to the growing edge. Howard Thurman said these words a long time ago, but here we are in this moment of struggle and challenge, this moment where in so many ways, the times seem to be out of joint and some it seems have lost their reason as dreams whiten into the all too literal ash of fires in the West, as great ones among us pass away and leave us to mourn. Let us today look to the growing edge and remember that even now the roots of hope and change are growing and spreading all around us. We are in a liminal moment in so many ways, an in-between, a threshold time. We are on the cusp of a new season that we hope and pray will be a blessing for all beings. 
On this day, we think with love of our Jewish congregants, friends, and neighbors who have just celebrated Rosh Hashanah, the new year. And with our pagan congregants, friends, and neighbors, we mark the turning of the season as the fall equinox approaches. No matter what our spiritual path, we can all feel in the air this week the change of seasons. May this fall be for us and for our country a growing edge, a time of hope and a renewal of strength. Especially on this day, we mark the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court jurist and formidable advocate for justice. May we who are left behind pick up the work that she left undone and may our elected representatives act wisely in this fraught time. We also pause to lift up the joys and the sorrows that move in our lives. Today, we extend our deep condolences to Linda Lane Hamilton. Linda's younger brother died unexpectedly last week. Jim Lane of Fort Collins, Colorado. Some of you perhaps know him. And our hearts are with Linda and her family. We also have a great joy to share today. Ben Thacker Gwaltney made it through his heart transplant surgery last night and is now recovering. Vanessa is here with us today, I believe. Vanessa, we are holding you and Ben and all of your families as he recovers. And at this time, I invite you to note in the Zoom chat, if you are on Zoom, those whom you would like to lift up today, folks who are going through a difficult time or maybe celebrating a special joy. And now I invite you to hold all this in your heart, all these loved ones, both named and unnamed, all the cares and the joys that you have brought here, that others have brought here and holding them. I invite you to add your own silent prayers and meditations.
So now we have uh, From the Heart Reflection. Throughout this fall, we are going to be hosting a series of From the Hearts by members and friends of the congregation, all about civic engagement. And today I am most delighted to welcome our own Les Solomon. Most of you know I'm hooked on politics. Last year, and earlier this year, many of you participated in my weekly polling for your pick for president. And last Friday, Dave Banks and I went to vote at 5 a.m. so we could promote the, it's time to vote. In fact, we did cast the first two ballots in James City County. And yes, I watched almost all the Democratic and Republican conventions and the political commentary. My takeaway? Almost everyone believes that there is so much at stake in this election. It is one for the history books, and even more so with the untimely death of Justice Ginsburg. Uh, yet, as I look around our Zoom room, I'm certain that almost everyone here today has or will vote. But just voting is not enough right now. The stakes are far too high to assume that your vote is a sufficient civic engagement response. And so what do we do? The UU, the vote, is a new Unitarian Universalist Association program. And it has some answers. Already, WUUers have written more than 5,000 postcards going into different states to urge people to vote. People have phoned in to Texas, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Florida, and I have from my uh, home uh, as well, urging people to vote. And we've attended UU the Vote training sessions. But what else can we do? If you haven't participated in UU the Vote, it is time to start. But we have also placed signboards in our yards. Individuals have helped fund so many candidates in so many states this time. We have signed up to help as poll workers, and these poll workers are needed even now. We have written letters to the editor and to our political leaders. We have participated in forums, and we're engaging persons about the importance of this election. Three years ago, my Charlottesville experience is instructive at, at this moment. A coalition of Charlottesville church leaders called persons of faith to come to respond in peace about the Confederate monument controversy. Nelda Rendell Baker and I did respond. Nelda using her nursing skills to aid persons in need. And I joined 55 others in a silent walk to that fortified gathering. And there we stood for nearly three hours, arms locked in front of the General Lee statue. Crowds of KKKers and Antifada protesters stood in front of us, and Antifada uh, protesters stood behind us. Our line included several clergy, including UU President Susan Frederick Gray, Jean Pupkin, Cornell West, excuse me, in Cornell West. We had representatives from the Poor People's Campaign. We had veterans from Ferguson and others of faith. 
not knowing what would happen from moment to moment, one of our leaders encouraged us to sing along. Oh, freedom, oh, freedom, oh, freedom. And before I'd be a slave, I'd be buried in my grave. It was a moving reminder of the history that brought us to that place and what was at stake as we stood in front of that Confederate monument. I believe this year's election is another such moment when our yearning for freedom urgently calls us to action. So here is a suggestion. After you cast your ballot, hum a few bars of both freedom, oh freedom, oh freedom, and end with a few new bars about what else this moment now calls us to do. It will be different for each of us and may, it may call us to act in new ways way beyond our own comfort zones. So make this selection be one for the history books for with our civic engagement. And just maybe in the coming years, we'll be able to add a new stanza to O Freedom that speaks about the success of our work this election. May it be so. Thank you, Les. Each Sunday, we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We do so in a spirit of generosity, but also in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve the world and to share our values. If you are joining us for the first time, feel, please feel free to give if you wish, but also know that your presence with us today is gift enough. Today, our entire collection will go to benefit the Winter Shelter Program sponsored by the Community of Faith Mission. Here to tell you about the need this year is our own Carrie Millette. Thank you. The Community of Faith Mission, better known as COFM, is a local nonprofit with which operates the only emergency shelter serving the homeless in our area. It is supported by hundreds of local residents and people of faith from more than 30 congregations. As a volunteer helping with the meals, going to families currently living at motels, I am so warmed by the selfless collaboration happening, especially in this time of uncertainty. It is a joy to observe the amazing partnership in our community to address the needs for food and shelter for our most vulnerable citizens. In a normal year, the program provides three meals a day and 126 nights of safe shelter to the homeless in our coldest months. This year, Due to COVID-19, many of the churches, including WUU, cannot set up space for an emergency shelter. The COFM board is considering other options until a modified program will begin in January. In January and February, a shelter program will be held in a handful of churches. The shelter will work according to CDC and VDH guidelines. 
Guests and volunteers will be required to wear masks and numerous other safety precautions will be taken. Air purifiers, PPE equipment, and daily sanitizing will just be a few of the extra things and extra expenses. All of the COFM faith groups are being asked to support the congregational settings with monetary donations and volunteers. We will keep you informed as to the volunteer needs as they unfold in the spiral. But today, on behalf of COFM, I ask you to consider a donation to provide, to provide needed support of this critically needed program in our community. Dave, I turn it back to you for giving instructions and thank you for listening. If you'd like to give through our website, uh, please visit uh, wuu.org and click on the uh, give online to wuu uh, icon. If you'd like to give by text, uh, please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757-500-0688. That's 757-500-0688. And follow the prompts uh, from there. Or if you prefer to give by check, please mail your check to WUU. 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia, 23185. Thank you so much. Our, our offertory music is by the 18th century Austrian composer, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. May the beauty and power of his music lead us into a deeper awareness of our own capacity to act for good.
Today's reading comes from an essay called Is America Possible? by the African-American historian and activist Vincent Harding, who lived from 1931 to 2014. He wrote this essay in 2007. The excerpt we'll hear today begins with a quotation from the poem, Let America Be America Again, by the great poet of the Harlem Renaissance, Langston Hughes. Then it continues in Dr. Harding's voice. Oh yes, I say it plain, America never was America to me. And yet I swear this oath, America will be. In many ways, the first accusatory pronouncement has always been easier to make for those of us who have fought against injustice, segregation, and exploitation. They, we, have seen the great distance between the nation's magnificent potential and its present reality. And they, we, have announced it loudly, America never was America to me. But while such an initial declaration is surely necessary, it is not sufficient. Always, everywhere, the second statement, the more difficult commitment must follow, America will be. This is precisely the point at which all of us who sense the inadequacies and the injustices of the present and the past must be encouraged to cultivate not only indignation and anger, but also vision and hope. There's no humane future without them. All of us who are willing to hear the call are challenged to be the bearers, nurturers, and waterers of the seed of the tree of democracy that grows deep within our hearts. So the question becomes more urgent. What is the America that we dream, that we hope for, that we vow to help bring into being? And what shall we do with the idea of an America in process? An America that is not a finished, sharp-edged block of white granite, but is instead a malleable, multicolored gift of clay, still seeking, taking, giving shape, purpose, and direction. Thank you. Thank you so much, Val. Folks, I just want you to know, if you if you don't know already, Val Sevilla is a member of our congregation and a teacher with a specialty in educating for diversity, as well as one of our W YRUU youth advisors. So thanks, Val. What shall we do with the idea of an America in process. An America that is not a finished, sharp-edged block of white granite, but is instead a malleable, multicolored gift of clay. When I saw pictures of the monuments coming down in Richmond, I knew I had to go. I went to see the Robert E. Lee Monument in July, and to me, it was absolutely amazing. I know that many of you have also been there. You remember that in the wake of George Floyd's death, many folks in the Richmond community felt a tremendous sense of urgency to do something about the Confederate monuments in the city. Mayor Stoney was able to use his authority to take down almost all of them. And you also know, I'm sure, that the Confederate monument that was here in Williamsburg has also come down. 
But with the Robert E. Lee monument, there's a lawsuit in play and it cannot be taken down legally until that's resolved. And so, as you know, the protesters began to do something that I find extraordinarily beautiful and powerful. They took paintbrushes and markers and spray paint cans, and they began to paint the monument to transform it with graffiti and street art as high as they could reach, which is pretty high. And I want to show you some pictures just in case you haven't yet gotten to see it. I'm going to do a screen share in just a moment. Let's see. Let me call it my slideshow. Here we go. So you've probably seen a picture uh, like this. This, uh, this photo shows an overview of the Robert E. Lee Monument. It was taken by Daniel Sangjeeb Min of the Richmond Times-Dispatch. This, um, of course, is an aerial view given a sense of the, uh, the whole scene. And then um, I have a couple more photos that I took. Um, let me just get back to my arrows. There we go. So you might have seen this sign, which uh, greets everybody upon arrival, gathering place for the people, remove riot gear to qualify. And then we have this one. Um, you know, if you've been to the monument, you've probably seen there are a lot of small um, memorials to many different Black people who have died, small um, art pieces uh, among this uh, larger, larger scene. I loved this sign, RIP business as usual, 1492 to 2020. And another overview shot. Um, I loved seeing the people walking around the monument, looking, studying it. Lots of people of all ages, including children. So I'll go ahead and stop the share now. And you should know if you have not been there already and you're thinking about going, if you're thinking about taking young kids, just be aware there is a lot of profanity and there's a lot of sexually explicit graffiti as a part of the scene. Just so you know, it's pretty raw. If you are sensitive to the energy of places, you might want to be careful about how much anger you let yourself take in. But wow, it is... Um, incredibly understandable the way it feels with everything the black community has been through for so long and i really want to encourage you to go see it before it comes down if you possibly can the the, the transformational energy in that space is absolutely incredible there is so much vitality and creativity happening there this this monument that has been a tool of oppression since its installation 130 years ago this finished sharp-edged block of granite, to quote Dr. Harding again, is now transformed into gorgeous splashes of color, a, a testament to the resilience and strength of a community. This block of granite, renewed and given new meaning as a malleable, multicolored thing, something that is still seeking, taking, giving shape, purpose, and direction. Dr. Vincent Harding reminds us that 
It is not enough to call out, as he puts it, the great distance between the nation's magnificent potential and its present reality, or as the great Langston Hughes put it, America never was America to me. That is an important first step. But Dr. Harding continues, always, everywhere, the second statement, the more difficult commitment must follow, America will be. This is, he says, precisely the point at which all of us who sense the inadequacies and injustices of the present and past must be encouraged to cultivate not only indign indignation and anger, but also vision and hope. And to me, this is the genius at work in the transformation of the Robert E. Lee Monument. When the monument went up in 1890, it was intended to glorify the Confederacy as a valiant lost cause and to signal to black people in Richmond that they were not safe, that white supremacy would endure just as the stone and bronze of the monument would endure. But now the monuments are coming down. They are being dismantled, just as we are working hard to dismantle white supremacy in our communities. Now the Lee Monument is splashed with paint, covered with graffiti, decorated with altars and flowers, transformed and renewed as a sign that something new is happening in our society, something hopeful and vital and alive. And in this month of renewal, I am awed and heartened by the human ability to engage with even the most painful events in our history and in our lives and to creatively transform them, renewing our relationship to them in a way that brings hope for ourselves and the whole community. You know, the, the monument actually reminds me of a story from my childhood long ago. When I was about six years old and my younger sister Amy was about four and a half, we loved to act out stories together. Our favorite story at that time was Hansel and Gretel. You know, the fairy tale with the brother and sister who get lost in the woods. Well, I was the older one and I was very bossy and this is how it tended to go down. I'd sidle up to Amy and say to her, hey, do you want to play Hansel and Gretel? And she would say, sure. And I would say really fast, good, I'm Gretel because I wanted to act out the girl's part rather than the boy's. Well, Amy wanted to be Gretel too, but I would not let her. She always ended up being Hansel. She didn't like playing a boy very much. Not that there's anything wrong with boys. She just wasn't one and didn't want to play one. But she felt like she didn't have a choice. For months, this went on. Until one fateful day, when once again, I said in my older kid bossy way, I'm Gretel. And Amy defiantly declared, fine, Hansel's a girl. And my world was shaken. I tried to argue back, no, Hansel's a boy. But my sister stood firm and solid in her new truth. And she said, if I'm Hansel, Hansel's a girl. And so it was ever after.
I look back on that moment and what I see today is my sister, so very young, resolute in her resistance to my bullying, my trying to force her to distort the fullness of her being so that I could monopolize all the good stuff. And again, not that there's anything wrong with being a boy or pretending to be a boy. It's just that for my sister, being forced into it didn't feel good. And with her declaration, Hansel's a girl, my sister Amy was saying, I'll play with you, but on my terms, and I will not let you diminish me. The creativity of her solution astonishes me today. And I tell you this story because this is the same kind of creativity I see shining out of the transformed monuments in Richmond. Strong and creative people rising up and saying, enough. We are done letting you define us. We are done with accepting a place in the society that harms and diminishes us. Those splashes of paint and graffiti are the voices of a community saying, we will define ourselves and we claim a full and complete place in our society. And our self-definition will be a redefinition of America itself. And this is how it will be. And so today, let us offer our gratitude to the community of artists that have created this monument to a new future. And let us pray that the Richmond community and all the people of Virginia and throughout these United States and throughout the world will have the strength and creativity to be redemptive artists of our lives, transforming the, the cold granite blocks of oppression into the living, changing, evolving clay of hope and renewal. May our time be the time that America will be America for all. Amen. Well, we have a special treat for our closing song. A lot of you know our own Hamid Barbarji, who is a brilliant jazz trumpeter. In June, Hamid was playing at one of the monuments as a personal protest when a videographer happened by and recorded him playing his rendition of What a Wonderful World, the famous song popularized by the great Louis Armstrong and written by Bob Thiel and a white American record producer and George David Weiss, an American Jewish songwriter. Let's have a listen.
pops would be proud. Now let us say the words to extinguish the chalice. And we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. We will paste the words in the Zoom chat. Again, we'll say them in unison. We extinguish this flame. Unity. Let the light of fire the We carry in our hearts. So we are together. And friends, as we close, I invite you to stretch out your hands in witness to all that connects us. This service has ended. Your service has begun again. In the days to come, may you be vessels of hope and beauty for everyone you meet. May your life radiate courage. And may you know your own being as a blessing to yourself and to all the world. So may it be. Blessed be and amen.